Uh, my name is Andy Tier. I am the Digital Communications Director. And uh, within that role, one of the things I do is typically I'm upstairs in the studio, up, up in the corner where they like to keep me, uh, hosting our services for everybody online. So I have people like Miranda here that joins me typically online. She's here today. It's so good to see you, Miranda. Hello, yeah, all right, but um, we've got some regulars that join us there online, and if you've been one of those people that have joined us online in the past, and we haven't had a chance to meet face-to-face, -face, I would love to meet you. I would love to speak with you after the service, or at any point, just uh, meet me out in the atrium, or email me, or use whatever form of digital communication you most prefer to get hold of me. Uh, another one of my things is to take all of these digital means of communication that we have, and then try to integrate them and, and, and use them to help further the gospel and to help us move along in the Christian life and grow with them as well. So uh, that's what I do. That's part of, of who I am. Now, last week, Phil shared the first message in this series called Overcoming Apathy. His message addressed apathy that results from just, we've got, we've got to get a grasp, a hold of this fact that our faith really is relevant to our life. We have so many things, so many different sources of information that bombard us and they tell us this is important or this is important and, they, and that it can distract us from the one thing that really is central to the life of a Christian. And that one thing is our faith. And as Christians, we must learn from Jesus's example and his teachings by living and loving and like him. We do this by being with God, being with others, and being sent. And last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 1, and especially that prayer of Paul's that's found in verses 9 through 11. And that's Paul's prayer that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. And Phil encouraged us to get to know God by reading the Bible, by praying, and then going out and applying what we learned. For those within the church that suffer from apathy due to confusion, Focusing on what's truly important will help overcome that apathy. Now, there are other causes of apathy, though, that we need to address as well. That's why this sermon series is four weeks long and not just, not just one. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about how to overcome apathy that results from difficulty. In other words, there's people in this room and there's people that are joining us online this morning that are apathetic or they're in danger of becoming apathetic because they found the Christian life to be too hard. Personally, I know in my own life, there's been times where I've stopped striving. I've stopped pressing for growth. I know I'm supposed to, right? I've, I've read the rest of the book and I get it. I know in Philippians chapter three, actually Paul addresses this. He says, he speaks of pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. But at times that's really seemed to take too much effort for me. And I've gone through cycles of apathy, so I know exactly what it feels like. And I'm sure that there's others here in the room that can relate. Maybe, in fact, you're going through this right now. Maybe you've done all the things that you're encouraged to do to grow in Christ. Maybe you set aside time for prayer and study. You attend our worship services regularly. You even have a favorite pew and a favorite spot within that pew. You're part of a small group and you regularly serve as a volunteer, but you find yourself just feeling kind of meh as Phil said, about your relationship with God. And now all of those valuable things that are signs of engaging in the Christian life that help us grow become difficult, and this is dangerous. And once apathy sets in, you can really start into a downward spiral. Prayer and study time can slowly morph into 
me time, as you become distracted in the morning, or, or whatever your time is that you set aside, where you're looking instead for just some kind of a dopamine hit or a flash or a spark of enjoyment or entertainment. This could be reels or TikTok videos, could be uh, learning a new skill on YouTube, could be reading a book or watching TV. Honestly, the thing that distracts you from your time with God could be something that seems healthy. It could be um, working out, it could be riding a bike or, or even jogging, which I don't understand jogging, but okay, I get, all right, good for you, right? Uh, worship services can become torture as you begin to feel like you're surrounded by people that are passionate about something that you just can't get excited about. In fact, you could be standing here in worship and thinking that the people around you that are excited are actually just fake. Participation in a small group can become torture as well. Other things seem to encroach on the time that you set aside for attending that small group. These other demands eventually result in a decline in your own attendance. Your relationships within that group become relegated to simply liking your other group members' posts on Instagram or on Facebook. Eventually, your voluntary service becomes drudgery. Everything done by the people that you're serving begins to annoy you, and the people around you just don't seem to have the desire to do anything to help. And then worst of all, you might find that you aren't excited about inviting other people to participate in this kingdom life because it just doesn't excite you. Or maybe you're in the room and you're listening and and you're not a Christian. Maybe you see the Christian life as this laundry list of just to-dos and to-don'ts and you're intimidated by the thought of taking that on and you might think, I believe there's a God. You know, I I even believe that Jesus came to earth as his son. But is there a chance that this Christian life really could make my day-to-day life better or give it meaning? In both cases, if this train of thought continues, you could find yourself completely closed off to the things of God. It's vitally important to stop apathy or disinterest in its tracks and turn it into a passion for the things of God. Now, here at Crossroads, we say this. We say that we live and love like Jesus by being with God, being with others, and being sent. And it sounds simple, right? The problem is simple is not easy. For example, shooting a basket in basketball, that sounds simple. You dribble the ball, you pick the ball up, and then you just shoot it through the hoop. Pretty simple. But for a mathlete like me, it's nearly impossible. I can't do it. I hate it, and I'm a competitive person. So instead of paying attention to basketball, I completely avoid it. I'm apathetic about it. Didn't know what Christian was talking about when he said something about UK this past weekend. I saw Jacksonville. I watch a little bit of football, but basketball, I don't understand. I don't know the names of our local coaches. I don't know the names of players on the teams. I I can't even name the coach on more than really one Division 1A basketball team, Calipari, which I know is UK, but... I still don't pay attention to it because I'm completely meh about it, right? The impact of my being apathetic about basketball it's, because it's difficult is negligible. I'm so apathetic about basketball. In fact, it, it doesn't bother me that someone like Phil, who didn't attend UK, he lives in Indiana, he's not 
particularly athletic, right? Um, He's still a huge UK fan. Doesn't make sense to me, but again, I'm mad about it. It just doesn't matter. It really is, on the scale of things, so unimportant. But being apathetic about my life as a Christian, because I think it's difficult or because it's not easy, really does matter. It's literally a matter of life and death. Please go ahead, and and Christian had the scripture on the screens earlier. Go to Philippians chapter two, whether you're in your Bible app or if you have your Bible with you. There's also Bibles in the pew right in front of you. Uh, That's the NIV version of the Bible. That's what I'll be reading from today, in fact. And it's Philippians chapter two, and it's those verses that we had on the screen earlier is where we'll start in verse 12, so you know where to go, all right? But um, today, in our study, I hope to answer four important questions that relate to living out the Christian life. And those questions are simply these. Is the Christian life work? And if it is, what are we expected to do? How is it done? And then why is it important? My prayer is that you'll see, especially uh, once we get to that how and why of the work, that the solution to overcoming apathy that arises due to difficulty is found within today's passage. Hopefully now you've got your Bibles, your Bible app open there to Philippians chapter two, it's verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So that word, therefore, at the start of that passage, points us to the preceding portion of scripture. Therefore says, because what precedes this is true, what follows must be true. In this case, the preceding portion of scripture is a song that Paul included in this letter to the church in Philippi. And this song tells of the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. When he gave up all of those accoutrements that comes with divinity, all the advantages that come with being divine, And he came to earth and he humbly took on the form of a human. And then Jesus was obedient to the will of his father. He was so obedient that he died on the cross. And because of this, it says that God honored him greatly. He gave Jesus the name that's above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of this, or therefore, the following must be true. We must, as Paul says, the Philippian, church must, the Philippian church must obey and continue to work out our salvation. So within that phrase, we find the answer to the first of those four questions. Is the Christian life work? And the answer is very clearly yes. But notice this, Paul says, work out our salvation. It doesn't say work for, we can't earn our salvation. That work was already done by Christ. Paul just described it. Paul says we must work out our salvation. And I wanna be careful here so that I'm not misunderstood. I'm not preaching a message that says you have to work to earn your salvation. What I'm saying and what Paul is saying here is that we must live out our salvation in obedience. When we work out our salvation, it's an act of obedience to God and his word. And through it, we're becoming conformed to the image of Christ. 
That's the work of sanctification. That's the purpose God has for us. That's sanctification is what Phil mentioned last week. And in fact, we talked about it in our series from the book of Romans 2 last fall. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go back to there as well to learn more. So the answer to that first question is, is the Christian life work? That's yes. And that leads us directly to that next question. What are we expected to do? Well, within those first two chapters of the book of Philippians, Paul has listed quite a few things that he's desired and demanded that the church do. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna summarize them quickly and give you the scripture references for each one. If you are taking notes, you can write these down. First, Paul wants us to develop our love for God and others. That's Philippians 1, verses nine through 11. Next was conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's Philippians 1, verse 27. And he goes on and says, stand firm and united. That's a life of community. That's in Philippians 1, verse 27. And also in chapter two, verse two. Chapter two, verse two actually says, be one in spirit and be in one mind. The next thing Paul says is Philippians 2, verse three. It says, be humble, value others above ourselves." And then next we're told to live like Christ, follow his example of humility and obedience. That's Philippians chapter two, verses five through 10. Now, while those are up there, notice that's not a checklist. That's not like a list of things you can do and then mark off as accomplished. Instead, those are more than things we do. In my mind, I think of that as things we be, right? We develop a deep love for God's and others. These are the ways that we are as a Christian because the work of the Christian life is living. The work of the Christian life is life. And this is what that life should look like. We should develop a deep love for God and others. We should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We should stand firm and united in community. We must be humble, value others above ourselves, and we must live like Christ, follow his example of humility and obedience. So now we've answered that next question, right? Uh, now that we've seen what we're expected to do, though, the next question flows from that naturally. And that question is, how is it done? And this is the beautiful part of this. And Paul answers this question in Philippians chapter two in that verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So that beautiful thing I mentioned about this passage and this encouragement from Paul is that we aren't just given an assignment. He makes it very clear that we're also given the ability to perform the assignment. Our work stands literally on, on two legs of support. These legs lift us up and they enable us to perform the work of living out our salvation. We, we already talked about the first leg. The first leg was the work that Christ has done for us, right? And now Paul has mentioned that second leg. The second leg of support is God's work in us. It's the work that he does in us and through us. God's love for us is so all-encompassing. It's so complete that he gives us the will and the ability to act, to actually work out our salvation. The New Living Translation says that God gives us the desire and the power to act. So God works in us to want to fulfill his purpose for us. And he supplies us with the power or the ability to do so. But we have a responsibility in this. 
We aren't God's puppets. We must take action. And as we learn more about God and his will is revealed in us, as he lays out the direction our life should take, as we feel that nudging of the spirit within us, we must act on the knowledge that we have. This truth that we must act is actually confirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, it's verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then James confirms this as well in his letter to the church. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's James 1 verse 22. We work because God has worked and continues to work in us and through us. If we try to do this on our own without God inspiring the work, all we're doing is trying to look like a Christian and we're building a facade and it will crumble. It will not have the support that it needs. It won't be standing on those two legs of support that the Christian work demands. Paul gives us a couple more instructions about how to work in today's passage. In verse 12, he says this, he says, with fear and trembling. And this is a reminder, a simple reminder, that it's God that we're doing this work for. We need to do this work with deep reverence and deep respect for him and for the work that he's assigned to us. In the past, God used to thunder at his people, the people of the Exodus, from the mountaintop, and they would fear and tremble. But now God's presence is inside of us, and we are his emissaries, we're, we're his ambassadors in a broken, in a dying world. The work we do is by no means trivial. It's a matter of life and death to the world around us. Two verses later, in verse 14, Paul hits us with one of these simple but not easy commands. In verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, I wish that word everything wasn't there. That's a tough one, right? Remember, Paul's letter is written to a church, a community of believers, a, a group of Christians. So his instructions to obey and to work out our salvation was written to us as a community, to be done in community. And in community, we might get our feelings hurt. We might disagree with someone else's actions or the way they're living their life. But Paul says not to grumble, not to complain, not to argue or fight amongst ourselves. And he tells us to do everything this way. You talk about not easy. It's very common for us to witness grumbling and complaining on a daily basis. And Paul says not to take place or not to take part of it anywhere, not in social media, not in the workplace, not in the home, and not in the church. And you might have like a little bit of a gut check on this. And you might think, then how do I stand up to right or wrong? How do I address someone that truly is headed down the wrong path? Well, there's processes, there's right steps to follow in those situations. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 18, and Paul does as well in Galatians chapter two. The first thing we need to do is address the person or the people that can actually affect change. And then we've gotta do it at the right time, and we've gotta do it face-to-face -face and one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, then we need to get help to escalate the issue. 
Now, I've seen in many cases where people have a tendency to want to withdraw when they see a situation that may require correction. I definitely do not advocate for that response unless personal safety is at risk. If personal safety is at risk, go to step four. Get somebody to help you to resolve this issue. Now, effective change, it really does have to take place from within. If you're to be the voice for the change, do it, but do it biblically. Grumbling and complaining weaken unity. They cause division, and we can't do it. So far, we've seen that we have work to do. We've looked at what the work is. We've talked about how to do it. Now we're gonna look at that final question. Why is it so important? So we're gonna pick up our reading. We're still in Philippians 2, and now we're in verse 15. And it says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, Phil talked about this phrase last week, uh, blameless and pure. And, And when he did, he explained that it refers to having pure motives and not putting anything that might be a stumbling block in somebody else's way. And that was part of Paul's prayer for the church that we had in chapter one. And here we see that we can actually ourselves be an answer to that prayer by working out our salvation and doing it without grumbling and arguing. Then we're gonna stand out. We'll be so different from the people around us that ignore or deny the blessings and the teachings of God that we'll shine among them like stars in the sky. And the cool thing about stars is they don't just illuminate the sky, they actually provide guidance. They provide direction for travelers. So working out our salvation, like I said before, is incredibly important. When we shine like stars, we don't just stand out as oddities. When people that are lost, they'll be able to to look up and begin to look for direction. They'll be able to use the light that shines through us for guidance to find their way to the Father. That light shines as we hold firmly to the word of life, that scripture says. And when I read this phrase, I had this picture in my mind of someone holding on to God's word as though their life depended on it. Both hands, both of their legs wrapped around it, right? And over a precipice of some sort. In fact, in my mind, because I'm a little bit of a geek, um, I picture this as Luke Skywalker, I picture Luke Skywalker on the bottom of the cloud city after he just slid through this trash chute and he lands on this antenna that was conveniently placed by a trash chute. And uh, he's grasping onto it with his legs. And if you know the story, he's really only holding on with one hand because his other had just been cut cut off by his father, right? But uh, anyway, he's holding on to that antenna for dear life until help can come. Now, I know for us, it can be tempting to try to grasp onto additional means of support, right? We might seek something else as a, as a viable lifeline. We might want to find a higher source of truth or an alternate source of truth or instruction by which we should live our life. Some of those things might be money, family, friends, um, prestige, a better job. It might be education as an alternate source of truth for us. But as soon as we let go with one hand, 
from the gospel and start to reach for something else. We've weakened our grip. And what if one of those things that we're reaching for were to be taken away from us? What if there's a market downturn and our money is gone? What if friends or family move away? What if our kids grow up and they move out of the house and we've based our life on them? What if we suffer a hit to our reputation, our prestige is is gone, we lose our job? Or what if your education becomes obsolete or it's outdated or insufficient, right? Suddenly we're left just grasping at air. We risk falling, we risk failing before we can grasp onto the gospel again with both hands. And when we grasp onto the gospel as our source of life, as our source of instruction, it actually will feed into things like family, friends, and our job, and actually become incorporated into part of this life that we're living as Christians, instead of being separate and tempting us and tempting us to be pulled away from the Christian life. And you're actually gonna hear more about that next week, okay? Now, as I studied this passage for this week, I also saw that some Bible translators, they take that phrase, hold forth the word of life, or hold, on, hold firmly to the word of life, and they actually translate it as hold forth the word of life. And in this picture, again, now this time, I see the church. I see every one of us holding out the word of life to the world around us as a source of life and instructions for living. And in this way, the light of God shines through us and we become beacons, again, for lost travelers. And both of these pictures, holding firmly to the word of life and holding forth the word of life, have their merits. Both are incredibly appealing. Personally, I think we might benefit from leaning into the power of both and thinking here. We must both grasp onto the gospel as a lifeline and a set of instructions for our own life and hold it out to others as a solution for their struggles. People will respect this offer when they see it, especially when they see it coming without an ulterior motive. And then they'll respect it when they see its positive influence in our own lives. So now we've answered all four of those questions. Is the Christian life work? Yes. We've talked about what that work is. We've talked about it being sanctification, fulfilling God's purpose for our life. It's working out our salvation. We've discussed how we're to do it and why. So now it's time for us to ask one last very important question. And that question is simply, what action should I take today? Now, there's a definition of work that I'd like to give you. Uh, In the past, I was a broadcast engineer. So my favorite definition of work comes from electrical theory, all right? So you've got to understand that Work is measured in joules. A joule is one unit of work, all right? Um, It's the product of power, and I think of this as effort, and time. And really, in electronics and electrical theory, that's watts and seconds. But for our equation, we would write this out as simply, work equals effort times time. When a small amount of effort or a small amount of time is applied to this equation, the result is an insignificant amount of work accomplished, right? The result of any number multiplied by zero is zero. So if I put in um, 
a lot of effort for a very short time. That might be like um, last year when I did my New Year's resolution, I thought, I'm gonna work out. So first day of January, I worked out for like 90 minutes and then I waited and by February 14th, I still hadn't seen a result. And I thought, it's not worth doing, right? <laughs> but here's the problem. I put in a ton of effort, but I didn't add time. So the amount of meaningful work accomplished was zero. We can't treat the Christian life that way. We need to put in both effort and time. And in the Christian life, we have the advantage of that effort being inspired by God. That means he gives us the will and the power that we need to do to do that work. And then we have to do that over time. When you think about work equals effort times time, to me, that sounds simply like discipline. Now, you might say, Andy, I have been putting in effort. I've been putting in time to working out my salvation, to following Christ, to living and loving like him, and I don't see a result. My work seems insignificant, or it's too hard, and I'm losing my passion. I'm not shining like a star. And my response to that is, hey, you're not alone. And you definitely are not the first person to experience this. I know it's true because, like I said before, I myself have been there. So let's look at this together. Let's look back at that graphic that was on the screen earlier. Right? This listed that question, what are we expected to do? And then the five expectations below it. So we can use this to help us determine a viable next step. Before you begin, though, do this. Pray to God for guidance. And then look at practices that you can take to help you grow in one or more of these areas. And here's the thing. Find something that works for you. Each one of us is unique. This isn't, there's not like a one-size-fits-all answer to this. That's why when we developed the roadmap, which is a digital tool that I'm very familiar with, I helped work on this, um, what you'll see on the roadmap is there's not checklists, and you can't mark things as done as you're on the roadmap. Instead, there's a lot of suggestions for things you might apply to your life that could help you learn to live in the right way, in that way that we mentioned earlier, right? So when we have develop a deep love for God and others, last week, Phil talked about starting a Bible reading plan. He talked about doing one that's lasting all year. We started it on the 7th. Some of us started a little bit before, but um, it's, it's called One Story That Leads to Jesus. It's a Bible project reading plan that's within the, the Bible app. And uh, the, the cool thing with that is it helps us gain that discipline. It's effort over time, all right? So um, yeah, you can join us in that. You, and you can join us now. If you join us now, it'll tell you where to start. And those other books of the Bible are still there. You can go back and catch up. It's not a problem. Don't feel bad about it. He also said for some that, you know, maybe that's not where, not where you are. Because like we said, this can be adapted to us as individuals. He said, maybe you just need to read the book of Philippians each day for a month. You know, so there's different ways to go about this. Now, if reading your Bible has become stale, another way you could switch it up is try reading it in a version that you don't normally use. Maybe you would read it this year in the message, or maybe you would use the New Living Translation. These are translations that are awesome because they use very plain and simple to understand English, and they might give you a different perspective as you're reading through. It's interesting when I read it, like this year I'm doing the New Living Translation, um, Verses that I know a certain way because I was brought up in the church. Like I, the, most of the verses I have memorized 
are still King James. So when I see them in other versions of the Bible, it helps me get different perspective as I do that. So that's a way that you might gain new insight. Now this week though, the action step that I would like you to take is in that area of standing firm with others. That's community. And there's several steps to take listed there on the roadmap under being with others. But the awesome thing is today is actually group Sunday. So you might have seen the tables when you came in. If you came in in a hurry, you might have just cut left and then come in without noticing. When you leave today, walk out into the atrium. If you're not part of a small group or any of the groups here at Crossroads, please stop at the different tables and talk to them. Find a group, a a community of people that you can fit into, right? It's so important that we do this Christian life together. Now, maybe you're part of a small group, so that particular action step doesn't work for you. Well, maybe you could look at ways that you could serve others. That's one way of valuing others above yourself, either here in the church or by working with one of our local partners. Steps to take for growth in this area are listed under, on the roadmap under Be Sent. If you, hasn't, if you haven't visited the roadmap yet, it's on our website. It's easy to access, cccgo.com forward slash roadmap. Like, if you don't have access to the internet, come and speak to any one of us, and we'll be glad. We've got computers here in the atrium. We can go to those, and we can help you find resources that you can learn from and apply so that you can have these aids as you're living the Christian life, okay? Now, if you haven't noticed, we've already talked about how this Christian life, we have to be prepared to put in effort and time. And Eugene Peterson wrote a great book that I borrowed from Andrew Bondurant earlier this week. If you know Andrew, Andrew has more books than just about anybody I know. I have a lot of books. Andrew, his collection is truly amazing. And I asked him for a very specific book from Eugene Peterson. What's funny is he's got these books everywhere in his office. And they are in stacks from from the floor up to my knees and above. And he started looking for this book like he knew how this was all organized. And then he goes to this book. He's like, oh, wait, I've got two shelves of books that are on my read right away list. (laughs) And he goes over and it was on one of those. Two shelves of books that he needs to read right away. I was like, that's interesting. But this book that I borrowed was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And the title of this book, I thought this was very interesting, actually comes from a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche is definitely not a Christian, right? But he had this to say, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction that thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. Now, there is one more result that Paul lists for us when we work out our salvation in obedience and together. And that's in Philippians 2, verses 16 through 18. He says, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, just like Paul, we can be confident that our work of living out the Christian life is not in vain, and we can experience joy together. Rejoicing is the polar opposite of apathy. If you haven't yet experiencing joy, 
is also a great reason to go ahead and take that first step on the path to living as a Christ follower. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the words of encouragement that Paul gives us in this letter to the Philippians. God, we're, thank you for giving us that assignment to live out the Christian life. I know that you've already done the work. Christ has done the work. And now you're working in us and through us so that we can live out this life day by day, God. Help us to be bright and shining stars, leading others to the kingdom life. God, also, I pray for those that might be suffering from apathy or, or disinterest in the things of God. God, inspire in them, just inspire in them a, a desire for the things of God. Give them the joy. Help them to see the why of why this is so important. God, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.